Hello, everyone. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We are Infinite Banking Authorized Practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Episode 71, Your Why for IBC. In this episode, we're going to talk about cementing why you have or should or could get started with IBC. And we're going to talk about We'll talk about the why, but also why you should stick with it. Not only just start, why you should stick with it and not only stick with it, but why you should build upon it, right? This isn't about, IBC isn't about just buying a whole life and policy and now I'm doing IBC. It's about creating your own financial system or in other words, how to become your own banker. And John Montoya is going to take the lead on this one. And we're going to talk about your why for IBC. So let me turn it over to you, Montoya, and let's let's kick it off. All right, let's do this. So I have a quote in our notes, and it's from the movie Inception. And it goes like this. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. And that really resonated with me 16 years ago now, back in 2007, when I came across Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, I read it and the seed was planted and I haven't been able to part with it, nor do I ever want to part with it. And I think for me, my why is why I'm so ingrained into this concept, into this philosophy of ownership and control that my entire bedrock, the foundation of what I do is based off of Nelson's thinking and it's rooted in a portfolio of whole life policies. And I think really to that quote, it's impossible for me to eradicate myself from it because it's so permanently ingrained. And what I want to convey to the listeners is that once you have this idea, you've visited IBC or the, you're researching it, you're doing your own diligence and that's great. The next step is to get started and really start thinking long-term, but you've got to build your why for the reasons that you're doing this, because if you don't know why you're doing this, it's not really going to stick with you and you're not going to build upon it. Like you just mentioned, and you're going to lose sight of your, what you're trying to accomplish long-term. And I think one of the most important things that you can do, maybe you're already taking notes while you listen to our podcast, but you should really write down your reasons why you want to get started with becoming your own banker. Because if you write it down, if you write down your goals, you're like 85% more likely to accomplish them. And so here are some examples of my whys. Now, they don't have to be yours. But this is really why becoming your own banker resonated with me. Back in 2007, that was really the start of the great financial crisis, as it's now being called. It really hit home to me that our financial system is broken. The fiat fractional reserve banking system that creates all this inflation, it, it's designed that way for a purpose. And it it really bothered me that we live in this system and I was looking for a way to, to just get out ahead of it, or at the very least not be part of the problem as as Nelson would say. And 
the concept of IBC, it really resonated with me because I had read The Creature from Jekyll Island and I'd learned about how the the Federal Reserve was created and come to learn that, hey, we've got these full reserve life insurance companies that can operate. They aren't a true banking system, but with Nelson's teaching, I learned that you can basically take back the banking function and you can do really in the safest way possible through a full reserve system, which is what the life insurance industry offers. And when you have a whole life policy structured anyway, it's automatically going to build cash value. You start to take back that banking function. And that, that really hit home with me. I, I realized that, and I really intuitively known something was wrong, but I never really it had a crystal clear answer what was wrong with the system. Nelson helped me put it all together. And that became really my first why. The financial system is broken and I've got to do something different. And then from there, it bridged off into moral reasons. If you believe that theft is wrong, then you want something, you want to be a part of a financial system that is doing something positive for society positive for yourself and your for your family. You don't want to contribute to that moral decay. Here you have a financial system through whole life policies that you're taking care of yourself and your family. You're establishing ownership, control, and responsibility. You're not relying on the government for any handouts. And I thought that was really powerful too. And I think about how I've been brought up and with a work ethic, I think of my dad, my dad was a butcher for 35 years and the struggles that he went through to put food on the table for his family. I mean, he, he really instilled a work ethic that it makes me proud and bothered me that I learned that the federal reserve through a push of a button can basically create money from nothing. And you take 35 years of my dad's hard work and what he earned over those 35 years. And at a push of a button, the Federal Reserve can basically create all that money and more through no work. And that really bothered me. And that's really what inflation is. And it's a theft of our time and of our savings. And it just really hit home for me that I, I want something else. I, I want to do something else that morally is takes the higher road and it's going to allow me to create a system that through my own responsibility, I'm going to take care of myself and for my family and not rely on the government. So that, that cemented another reason for me. Yeah, I was going to say real quick, John, if I could jump in, a lot of this is resonating with me as well. And it's making me think of, <clears throat> you're talking about how your father, just super hard worker and still had a good work ethic, worked for 35 years. And as a, I guess, would you call that a blue collar type of job and just worked. And the, when you talk about how the system is broken, of course we have the manipulation of the money, but then we also have these retirement systems that are set up that really incentivize people to take a lot of risk where it's like they're it's not about hard work anymore it's not about hard work and saving and i'm not saying we shouldn't be as efficient as possible but we've got these systems that incentivize people to 
It's the unicorn mentality out here in Silicon Valley. Everyone thinks they're going to hit a home run. I did in my 20s. I started working for a startup and I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. And the news is for most people, it doesn't work out that way. And you got these people who are always, they think that they should be swinging for the fences when they're young and take on a bunch of risk. I just had a conversation with a family friend earlier this week who she told me like, I'm, I'm okay taking some risk. And I was like, I don't think you should be like, just because you're young, that doesn't mean you should take risk. Like why? Or at least with a substantial portion of your financial system, like why are you, why are we taught to start with risk? You know what I mean? And so it's these, uh, like the hard work and the ethic and, and taking ownership of things. Meanwhile, people are just the first thing they do when they get their paycheck is a good percentage of it is just sent away to their 401k plan where they lose all control. They can take no responsibility on anything because they're not, they don't have control of their money anymore. And so all that stuff really resonates with me with because that, as you did too, I think, John, that's all, that's what I did in my early days. I followed that advice Two pop bubbles later, maybe a third one looming. It, it was like, I was starting over every 10 years. Anyway, I just wanted to chime in with that and share my view on it. Yeah, no. And I appreciate that because the, what you're talking about, I did the exact same thing because that's what we're all conditioned to do. Go out on the risk spectrum and never build a foundation that we own and control and we're not taught that. So it, it really leads into my third why, which for my parents, they instilled in a very early age, the value of saving for the future. They were always thinking long-term and they really instilled that discipline of saving money. I had a passbook savings account from the earliest my earliest memory. And my mom was always so proud to take me to the bank when I had birthday money or Christmas money and deposit in the bank. And she'd show me how my money was earning 8%, uh, 7%. And I don't know, I thought that was pretty cool. And there's probably some millennia, millennials that are asking what the heck is a passport savings account? That um, would be cool to earn know. 8% in a savings account, man. Yeah. But that's my, my parents weren't risk takers. They just, they were led to believe that you put away money and you put it in someone else's bank. They didn't think of it in those yeah. terms. And yeah. so naturally growing up, I didn't think of it in those terms either, but yeah, I would put that money in a traditional bank account and that would be for my future. And one of the things that my mom, my mom and dad, by the way, their first language was Spanish. Grew up, They grew up in New Mexico and Colorado before coming out to California. And so that was their first language. And they didn't, of course, teach me any Spanish, but I picked up some phrases here and there. And my mom, she used to always say, Wardar Parakastar. And I can repeat that ad nauseum and it essentially translate to save to spend is what my mom would say, save to spend, save money for the future. That way you have money to spend. And so that really is a big part of my why with IBC, because I'm thinking as Nelson taught long-term and what does IBC do? It allows you to save so that you're going to spend, but you have this economic base where the foundation is set up and that money's always working for you, even when you take a loan against it. It's the best place where you can build a foundation 
that, that's another reason why that not only did I start with these whole life policies, but I've continued to add to them as my cash flow has increased over the years. So getting back to not only just starting, but you, you got to really be thinking, how do I maximize these policies? And why, if you're not thinking about adding more policies in the futures, why not? You really got to be thinking long-term and how best to create this warehouse of wealth. And Nelson, if you read Nelson's book, which you should, he mentions it's going to take a portfolio of policies. And on average, I think he, he said it's going to take something like 22, 23 years to really create a full running system of policies that will allow you to incorporate your wealth into the system. So it's something where... You know, you come into IBC and you're learning about it now, phenomenal, but you've got to stick with it. You can't lose focus and you have to continue to capitalize and then expand your business. We've talked about it in previous episodes about starting additional policies and thinking about it as starting up, a, opening up a new franchise, a new location for your finance business. That's exactly what you're doing when you're adding more policies to your overall portfolio. You got to think, you got to think long-term. You got to have the discipline to save. Another part of my reason why with IBC and with whole life is that I'm married. I've got three kids and I, for me, establishing a guaranteed legacy for them that guarantees what I want to have happen will happen. Even if I'm not around to see it is crucial for me. I, Again, this is just the way I was brought up. I, I look at my kids and they've got so much time ahead of them. And I want to make sure that I, I know I've had my bumps in life and we all do. If something happens to me, I want to make sure that their college is paid for, that I've set up policies for them so that when they get into their 20s, 30s, and way beyond, they have the capital. If they want to start a business, they can do that. And it goes into multi-generational planning where ideally they're going to have kids of their own and this process is going to repeat. And as they have kids, guess what? We talked about it in the last episode. I think as soon as a child is born in to this world, not as soon as, but two weeks into their life, you can start a policy for them. And that's going to be part of the plan for the multi-generational transfer of wealth. I am growing it, but I'm using IBC to protect that wealth and ultimately it's going to transfer. And the way that I'm setting it up, I call it long sleeve to long sleeve versus uh, short sleeve to short sleeve. And I use the, the example of my dad as a blue collar worker, butcher for 35 years. He actually wore these white short sleeve shirts to go into work. I don't know how he did it working in a freezer or refrigerator eight hours a day, but uh, he, was actually working. he did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was working his butt off, but he'd wear these short sleeve shirts and that's how he put food on the table for us. But I've been able to go to college and build a successful practice in really it's a white collar profession that we're in, John. And w when you, as a professional, when you're using your brain more than your hands, you're going to have a higher income potential. And that's really a long sleeve type of occupation. And so the idea for me is I want to perpetuate that if possible, not to say that there's, there's more value in it. It's just as far as income and being able to 
create wealth and transfer that on. It's just the mindset of, I want it to be long sleeve to long sleeve. That's what I want for my kids and their kids and to have that opportunity and have a greater opportunity to pursue that. Yeah, it's like Getting back to my wise. Being able to pursue what they want, not having to worry about making decisions solely based on money. Like I was thinking, what if they, what if they wanted to pursue a quote unquote short sleeve type of occupation? That's okay but they don't have to do it based on monetary decisions. And then you talked about protecting a legacy and being able to, if anything happens, right? And it's shocking to me how many people really don't realize that if anything happens to them prematurely in the form of death or disability, the significant change in their plans that will have to take place if they don't have the protection side of their financial life shored up. Like people will be like, if I die, I've got this much money in all my investments or whatever. And it's okay. Guess what? You're gonna, your family's going to have to spend that today instead of tomorrow. Like all that money earmarked for tomorrow, maybe not all of it, but at least some of it will have to be consumed today or their lifestyle will have to change. And it's like, why, how could it ever make sense when it's possible that you can not do that? Why would it make sense? Why would it make sense to, to have that risk and have that change of lifestyle or consume those assets today when you don't have to, when your family doesn't have to love that point. Yeah. And it's really about building that foundation. That way you can smooth out all the curves and bumps in the road. And that, that's another reason why I went with IBC to establish the, the bedrock in my financial foundation. And it's been, it's held up ever since, because if you listen to episode 55 with my wife and, and her struggle, once she was diagnosed with cancer, and I've been through a, a divorce previously and all the bumps on the road that I've experienced, the one constant in my life has been my whole life policies because I capitalized them and, and I had the control cushion and to, your control over those. Yeah. The, yeah. And the control. I didn't have any of that with my 401k, none of it. And the money that I was putting into a brokerage account to invest in the mutual funds that were the recommended ones to go with, you know, back in the day, none of the control, none of the peace of mind. And it's really hard to articulate the value of that unless you, you have this in place. And you can use it to really calm the waters. And it's, and that, that's something I would say that you get started with IBC and you have to stick with it because if you don't stick with it, maybe you just end up with one policy, but also too, you lose sight of your why and you get hit with these bumps in the road where maybe you don't have enough capital to really get through it. And then what happens? What's going to be one of the first things to go? Something that we've talked about before where people who get started with IBC and maybe they don't have a enough of a reserve elsewhere and they look at their policy and they forget the long-term value and yeah. what's the first thing to typically go? Yeah. It's their whole life policies because they don't have the conviction or the foresight to really see its value. Yep. And I... Unfortunately, I've been on the receiving end as an advisor where clients reach out to me 
and they're in dire straits and they, for whatever reason, the most common, I would say, is the divorce. And there, there's unfortunately not a whole lot of a whole lot you can do if you got a spouse who's not really willing to work with you and the policies have to be surrendered. But man, it's painful to me as the advisor to to see, to have experienced some of my clients lose their whole life policies simply because life happens. And in the case of a divorce, it's not something that they want, but they, they can't get their spouse to agree on what's really important and work out a, a solution that really works for all parties. But it's, it's, I'd say conviction is so important. And if you're holding on to your whys in that situation, if you ever happen to get divorced and you have whole life policies that are going to have to be negotiated, whether you keep them, you lose them, you have the conviction to come back and restart because yeah. we're going to, if you get approved for a policy, the life insurance company is basically saying, yeah, you're in good health. You're going to live to your eighties and maybe potentially longer. And one of the common concerns that people will have in their fifties is, oh, I'm only 10, 15 years away from retirement. And one of the points that you and I like to bring up is that how long are you going to have a need for right. cash? How much oh, longer after that? Capital. Gonna, how long are you planning on yeah, living? It goes, exactly. You, just because you retire at age 65 or whatever, doesn't mean that you have a, you stop having a need for capital. So again, it's long-term thinking. Your whole thing you mentioned about the spouse and the divorce, just it rings true to me that it's so important to communicate amongst your family, like what is happening and what you're doing, because if that were done a little more effectively and often some of those things may not happen or wouldn't have to happen where you have to surrender a policy or something like that in the case of a divorce. Yeah. My next why, when I learned about IBC, I was really blown away by the ability to have my money working for me and compounding uninterrupted without market risk, even if I took a loan against it. And th this is now getting way down on my list of whys, but that was really profound to me. But I think what's interesting to me is that this is perhaps my sixth why. As far as my priorities, taking out policy loans, it's further down the list. Now, for you, maybe you prioritize this as a higher why for you. But for me, this is just part of, this is like an additional benefit. It's just one of them, like a, almost like a cherry on top. But it's not the main reason why I started with IBC. It's just an incredible additional benefit that we get by having these policies. So I do want to make that point as powerful as it is. It's further down my reason for being part of IBC and for making it a part of my life. And everyone's going to be different and have a different why. I just know that th there's so many people that reach out to us and the priority for them is taking loans and even doing so right away. And they're so anxious to get started and, and take those policy loans. And I almost have to say time out. Let's look at this from another lens because 
the, this is a life insurance contract. So, you know, what are you trying to accomplish more so than this? Is there anyone that you have to protect in your life? Because there, there's far greater value that I want you to realize that these policies have other than just taking policy loans. It's a great benefit. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it should be the sole reason why you pursue IBC. And if it is, then as an advisor, I've gotten a little bit more picky the longer I've been doing this, where I, I make a choice whether or not I want to work with someone. And if the values aren't in line with my own values, then you know that's potentially a decision that I will make where I will say, you know, I wish you the best because for my values, I want to work with people that are like-minded and think the same way that I do and see this as taking policy loans as just an additional benefit, not the sole benefit. So for me, it's further down my list of whys. And maybe for you, it's different to, to each their own. Yeah, it's an important, I love that you brought that distinction up that it's further down the list, especially in today's day and age with some of the sensational TikTok, YouTube stuff where they talk about buying Lamborghinis and all that stuff. And it, you can tell when people come in with that mindset and you got, you really have to bring them back to some of the principles of what's happening, why they should be looking at this. Because if, if all you care about is policy loans, you're going to forget your why within six months of starting this because yeah. you're there's the capitalization period of a whole life policy. You're not going to be able to go back to episode 51 IBC amnesia. And we talk about why, how people forget what they're actually trying to do with IBC and whole life. And if all you're caring about is policy loans, you're done fast. You're done within a year. I guarantee you. you'll forget what you're doing. You'll see the next shiny object, go out, put your money towards something like an investment, probably maybe lose some money and then not be able to pay a premium. And you're going to, you're going to have to surrender your policy. It, it definitely happens. Just realize there's no free lunch. It's like, there's no magic in what we're doing here. There's just strategy. And if you get caught up in the magic of the sensationalized version of these fake IBC people, it's going to be a problem for you. It's going to be a problem. Yeah. Thank you for crystallizing that. Two more whys, and I'm going to try to be brief with these. So the next one is I endeavor to own more assets as I get up in age and using my policies as a wealth building asset multiplier is another reason why I continue to capitalize and add to my policies because it allows that money to continue to work. Even as I take policy loans, safely leverage the cash value, which is backed up ultimately by my life with that death benefit. It's going to, something happens to me, all the policy loans are going to be paid from that death benefit. I've got total peace of mind there, but I'm, while I'm living, I'm adding to my asset base. And so IBC does that wonderfully. The last why is money must reside someplace. And th this maybe should go a little bit higher, but it's just where I put it. W once you realize that all the money that you make, it, it's got to go someplace. Why wouldn't you want to park it in the best place you can possibly find. And if you go through 
a list of all the key criteria of where, you know, all the benefits and features that you're looking for in order to really compare where can I get the most bang for my buck by parking my wealth someplace. You compare it, anything to a whole life policy, a whole life is going to check off pretty much all the boxes. It's not one size fits all, but it is a Swiss army knife and it does so many things very well that you can't duplicate it anywhere else. And if you just stick to the principle that money must reside someplace and you want to park that wealth that you're creating in the best place possible, it's going to find a home in a whole life policy. And ultimately when you really get it and your conviction is so high, it's going to be a group of whole life policies, not only on you, but your spouse, your kids and from there, life is, it's, it really is smooth sailing. Once you get this set up and you get it and you expand it. That's it. it, it another thing that baffles me over the years is that how so many like financial people, we call them financial entertainers and all that, how they can't get their head around that whole life is an asset. All the, all people, the mainstream people, all they can do is look at whole life insurance premiums as a cost, a cost for this amount of death benefit. If there's a part, if there's a guaranteed cash flow in the future in the form of a death benefit, guess what? There's a present value to that. It's an asset. Just like when you buy a house, like everybody loves real estate, regardless of the status of where we are in a potential bubble and past bubbles and all that stuff. But it's like real estate's an asset. If you like real estate, you should love whole life because there it, it's all the benefits of real estate without any of the risk or, and without any of the loss of control. When you buy real estate, your money's tied up in the walls of the structure with whole life. It's not, you have access to it. People want to go out there and get a high return. What's the Holy grail these days, 10 or 12% when you put your money in a whatever Vanguard or a whatever ETF you're talking about, people say you're going to get a 10%. Guess what? That comes with a bunch of risk. If you can use whole life with the capability to leverage the cash value and you can get two, 5% returns with guarantees and no risk, I guess that's a lot better than a 10% return with all the ups and downs in the market. So it's, you just gotta, you gotta really look at what you're doing with all of your assets out there. Yeah, we definitely come from a different viewpoint and for listeners that are learning about IBC for the first time, I would encourage you to reach out and just have a conversation with us because I think just growing as a person, it, it requires taking a look at things from a different perspective. And it's not to say that your way of thinking is wrong by any means. If you're investing, look, you're saving for the future. That's a phenomenal thing. Yeah. But you, you do want to take a look at what you're doing and be a philosopher. What do philosophers do? They're studying truth, trying to figure out how the world works and what is the highest truth. And I would say, you know, be the type of person who is seeking out the highest form of truth for what your future what you want your future to look like and what you're going to learn from asking more questions is that 
maybe what you're doing does have some holes in it. And if you talk to an IBC practitioner, we're certainly going to give you a different perspective and that perspective, maybe it's going to resonate with you. Maybe not, but I believe chances are it's going to resonate with you because you're going to start to see things that you didn't see before. It's a great point. And it shouldn't be discounted that people that who are actually putting money away and investing it, even though you and I might think that they're potentially suboptimal financial products, they're still doing it. So their mindset is correct. The good news is having whole life insurance, no matter what you want to do, it'll make what you're already doing. If you don't want to make any changes to that, if you just add whole life insurance and that permanent death benefit, it'll make what you're already doing even better. Yeah. And I would say to that, start asking, why are you doing this? And if you can't get five levels deep, you haven't cemented your conviction and you don't really have much conviction, I would say at that point. So one of the most important things you can do for yourself is ask why and get your whys written down. Because if you do that, you're going to get to a place that you really want to be and you're going to realize what is your truth. I've shared with you some of my whys and my truths for IBC, but it's up to you to make it your own. And I think it's probably a very healthy exercise for you and your family. Awesome. Great talk today, John Montoya. If if any of this has resonated with you and you'd like to learn how it could work for you in your life specifically, you can head over to thefifthedition.com and you can schedule a free, no obligation, 30-minute call with us and we can talk about you and what you're doing and talk about your why and see if the principles that we talk about are a fit for what you want to do. Or if you're one of those people that just likes to do all the research they can before talking to somebody, we've got an online course just for you. You can get a 50% discount to it at the edition.com right there at the top. And uh, looking forward to talking with you again soon, John. All right. Thank you, everyone. Take care.